You are tuning into another edition of Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. You can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. Will the Royals actually fire anybody this offseason? I've got a couple of names to watch for. What's next for Nick Prado, and can he fit into this 2024 roster? And let's look ahead to this Pittsburgh Pirates series that's upcoming at Kauffman Stadium. That's all coming up next on Locked On Royals. You are Locked On Royals, your daily Kansas City Royals podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for tuning in to another edition of Lockdown Royals and the Lockdown Podcast Network. Again, my name is Jack Johnson, and you can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. Catch all of our podcast episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or you can find us on YouTube or just any of those podcasting platforms that you may already have. If this is your first episode and you're just now seeing my face or listening to my voice for the first time, I am a lifelong Royals fan. I've turned that fandom into a career path, really. I work up here in Kansas City at a sports radio station, WHB, or 810 WHB Kansas City. Uh, I've worked there for the last two years. Tonight, I'll actually be at Kauffman Stadium, get access to the clubhouse, as I do every single Monday home game for the Kansas City Royals. And I love doing this, and I love the feedback that I get. I love the interaction I have with you, the followers, you, the listeners, and it's what makes me want to do this episode, what makes me want to do this show every single day, even with a team that is now 50 games under 500. And last night, after the Royals completed their three-game series in Seattle, had a couple of questions come my way, and one that really uh, piqued my interest, that, that sparked this episode really, was if some of the coaches on the, the Royals staff are safe or if they're going to be in jeopardy. And the first names that were brought up were Alex Zuma and Keone Duran, the hitting coaches for the Kansas City Royals, and if those jobs are going to be secure. I, I think one thing about this coaching staff is, yes, they have underperformed. I'm never going to look at a team that's 50 games under 500 and place no blame on the coaching staff, because even though this team has been a different kind of bad, and it has been an evaluation year, 50 games under 500 is 50 games under 500. You can't really make excuses for that. You can't say, well, they should be better than they really are. There are some flaws within the coaching staff. However, I remain pretty confident that everybody on this staff is going to keep their job. I think the only guy that would seriously be in jeopardy is Vance Wilson, and he's a third base coach. Yes, he does his job poorly, but I would say that it's kind of interchangeable. Now, you put somebody out there at third base, are they going to be that much better than Vance Wilson? Maybe. But I don't think it's a high priority this offseason. Of course, everybody knows what the priority is and adding much more talent to this pitching staff, getting some help for the bullpen, and maybe adding a bat or two to this lineup. But overall, I don't see why the Royals would make any rash decision on the coaching staff, especially the assistants on the staff. I mean, just think about it from a, a logical perspective here. John Sherman fires Dayton Moore. Then he promotes J.J. Piccolo. A few months later, J.J. Piccolo and John Sherman, they hire Matt Quattrero, who brings on Paul Hoover. They then bring in Brian Sweeney. And Alex Zuma and Keone Duren were promoted last season in the middle of the year. So that's not a full year. That's not a full offseason. They've had one full offseason 
with a bunch of new players. But a lot of young guys, a lot of rookies, a lot of first and second year guys. And then you have to go out there and face big league pitching. I think for me, at least when I was looking at this team to show signs of success, I wanted to see the young guys and the young core guys really improve. We've seen that from Bobby Wood Jr. We've seen that in the second half from MJ Melendez. I think early on we were seeing that from Vinny Pasquantino before he got hurt. Michael Massey had his stretch. Michael Garcia has been a huge success. And to me, I think that was enough for me to be impressed by what Alex Zumwalt and Keone Duran could do. Also, Alex Zumwalt may be one of the brightest minds in the Royals organization. I actually thought he was a much better fit for the front office than he ever would be on the field. But I loved the hire at the time. And I think the only other promotion you could make is Drew Saylor, who's been working down in the minor leagues with a lot of the young guys. Now, you could uh, make some criticisms about how the hitting has gone this year and some guys taking a step back. But minor leaguers are minor leaguers. They're going to go through ups and downs, and maybe their potential isn't as high as you once thought it was. But to me, I just I, I don't see how the Royals are going to make any decision that would result in firing somebody, especially an assistant, one to two years into their tenure in Kansas City. Now, I've seen people out there say, well, you know, Matt Quattrero needs to go. You need to fire Matt Quattrero. We did a podcast episode on that about a month and a half ago. I just don't see it. The Royals could have lost 120, 125 games. I don't believe John Sherman or J.J. Bacola would have made that move. Because if you fire somebody one year after they've come to your organization, A, that shows that you never really had a good plan in place and you absolutely failed at hiring the right guy. And B, it sends a message to every other person, every other coach, every other upcoming coach that is interviewing for that job that you may get one year. If it goes really poorly, you're out. And that could go really poorly because the front office didn't give you much help to begin with. I mean, I'm going into this offseason not really thinking at all that anybody is going to lose their job. Not Matt Cotrero, Matt Cotrero, not Paul Hoover, not Brian Sweeney, not Zumal, not Duran, not Mitch Stetter, not Zach Bove. I think a lot of these guys are going to be back next year. And I think the only way a coach would not be back is if they willingly chose not to come back. Hinting at retirement. To me, though, it feels like there has been somewhat of a steady progress made by the younger hitters in the second half. It was going to take time. It was really ugly. The, the overall numbers are not good. That's the thing here. The overall numbers are not better than they were last year. But last year, I would say that you had a Andrew Benintendi in left field. Uh, you had Michael A. Taylor, who no is not a great center fielder, but uh, much more proven than the guys you're running out there every single day. No, you just had more proven commodities around the infield. You had Vinny Pasquantino for a full year. You had Whit Merrifield for a full year, or at least 70% of the year. And there was more experience on that team, which is why I think the numbers were a little bit better than they are right now. It just doesn't feel like this is going to be one of those off seasons where it's tear it down and start over. Because a lot of Royals fans want competitiveness now. You want to see some urgency now. I don't think firing people on the coaching staff is going to push you in that direction. No, if anything, you'd want this staff to stay in place because now all of those young players, all those young pitchers have gotten used to the way things are done. And 
they're going to have another full off season with those guys. And you're going to have new players get a shot at Kansas City and work with Brian Sweeney, Zach Pope, get a chance to work with Alex Zumwalt, Keone Duren. That's all important to note here. You know, before I worked in Kansas City at Sports Radio 810 WHB, before I covered the Royals for Royals Review and I'm bringing you this podcast today, in college, I covered Kansas football for two years, two full years, and they won three games. I covered the entire Les Miles era and the last year of the David Beatty era. So actually three years now that I think about it. The thing about hirings and firings is it's really to appease the fan base and college is to appease the boosters. If you fire somebody a year or two after they've been there, and especially in a spot like Kansas, yes, the, the national perception that everybody's going to be happy that, yes, you got rid of that guy that couldn't win games. But then it also puts pressure to hire the next great coach. And that didn't happen until Lance Leipold came to Kansas. And yes, I'm throwing in some college football references because it is college football week. Week one, that is. But when I was covering that team, you know, when they were firing coach after coach, one, they were continuing to pay those guys that were no longer coaching. B, it was an admittance that you made a big time mistake in hiring that guy. And C, it also sent a lot of messages to other coaches applying that I don't get very long to turn this thing around. But it doesn't always mean that's the best thing. There were some terrible years where you hired a guy. I mean, David Beatty's first year at KU, they went 0-12. They didn't fire him because they were still paying a lot of other coaches. I mean, the Royals fired Mike Matheny and Cal Eldred. You bring in Matt Cotrero and Brian Sweeney. You fire those guys? So then you're on your third coaching staff in three years? I mean, at that point, if I'm John Sherman, you got to clean the front office, which I know some people on Twitter and those that follow me want that to happen. That you want to go ahead and clean house. Well, I'll tell you this. You clean house. It's not just pressure now and replacing the next manager, the next hitting coach, the next pitching coach. You got to replace everybody with the right guys top to bottom. And do you have full confidence right now? I would say no. I mean, this coaching staff deserves, I think, at minimum two years. I would like to see it through next year. And if the Royals lose 100 games again, then maybe you do need to make a decision. But also, if it's a year in which the front office doesn't spend, how can I blame the coaching staff? There's not much talent to go around. But if you want my honest opinion, I think everybody's job right now is very safe. Because if it wasn't, I think we'd be starting to see some press conferences from John Sherman. We'd be hearing some rumblings. And so far, it's been pretty quiet on that front. I'd imagine everybody's job is going to be safe this offseason. Okay, the next thing I want to talk about is a guy who might not have such a safe job in 2024, and that's a night and day difference from where I was back in May and June and July, and that's Nick Prado. We're going to talk about him next on Locked On Royals. You are tuning in another edition of Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I am your host, Jack Johnson. You can always follow me on Twitter at J underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore one five before we talk about nick prado and his fit for the 2024 roster let's give a shout out to one of today's title sponsors in dave and with dave finances can be so intimidating that's why you need dave dave can make your managing uh managing your money so much easier with an interest-free extra cash advance fee-free gold tracking and easy ways to find a side hustle to make more money dave is the banking app that's leveling the financial playing field when you download Dave, you get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No credit check, no late fees. It's part of Dave's extra cash account. Advance the money you need with no interest and then settle up later. 
Download Dave today at dave.com slash MLB. That's dave.com slash MLB. You can get up to $500 in five minutes or less. No credit check, no late fees. Download the Dave app now or go to dave.com slash MLB. For terms and conditions, go to dave.com slash legal. Eligibility criteria and instant transfer fees apply. Banking services provided by Evolve, member FDIC. I thought at one point that Nick Prada was as close to a lock as guys like Michael Garcia was, Bobby Wood Jr., uh, MJ Melendez, Vinny Basquintino, Brady Singer. I kind of put him in that category for 2024 where you just didn't have to worry about it. Hey, first base over there, that is going to be occupied by Nick Prada. He was hitting well. He had improved from last year. He had an incredibly good hot stretch. The power wasn't really there, but I thought the approach was really good. He was getting better with two strikes. And overall, I just couldn't complain about what I was seeing from him defensively. And with Vinny Pasquantino out, I felt like that was his opportunity, his chance to show just how he could handle the hot corner. And now, after he's been returned from his rehab assignment, he's going to be shut down for the year, likely, unless they can have a fast turnaround in the final month. We have seen the last of Nick Prado in 2023. And that's not a good thing, A, because he's injured. B, because this was his chance to prove that he could hold down that spot all year long. And he went on the injured list at the time that he was slumping heavily. And if you're into analytics, if you're into the advanced data, I'm going to tell you something that is pretty shocking about Nick Prado and MJ Melendez. Now, maybe it's because we've seen MJ Melendez all year long and MJ's defense has been putrid. So just eye test wise, you go, MJ Melendez has been terrible. He's not a future fit for this team. Somebody's got to replace him. Well, I would tell you advanced metrics-wise, and you can go check this out on Baseball Savant, MJ Melendez blows Nick Prado out of the water in numerous categories. So if you ever gone to Baseball Savant, you would know that the red circles mean that player is really good. He's in elite categories. He's in the white. He's in the middle of the, the league. He's middle territory, 50 percentile, something like that. You're all blue. That means you are in the bottom one to 10 percentile. And I hate to say it, but Nick Prado's got a lot of blue on his baseball savant page. He is 24th or 24th percentile in average exit velocity. He's in the 31st percentile in max exit velocity. He is in the ninth percentile in expected batting average. He's in the 16th percentile in expected slugging. He's in the bottom one percentile in strikeout percentage. He's in the 7 percentile in whiff percentage. And get this, defensively, you know, we all thought that Nick Prada was a wizard over there. He is in the 8th percentile and outs above average. He is a well below defensive first baseman. And the reason I compare this to MJ Melendez is, though MJ's overall numbers aren't great, he strikes out more than anybody else on the Royals. The hard hit rate, the, the barrel percentage, the exit velocity, the average max exit velocity, all in the red, all above 80 percentile. That's where MJ Melendez is. Nick Prado, he's not there. And that is concerning, especially for a first baseman, because in baseball, first basemen need to be great defensively and walk a lot, or they need to have tremendous power. Or they can be an all-around great first baseman like Freddie Freeman or Matt Max Ol- Matt Olson, excuse me. You know, that's what you could be. But Nick Prado is none of those things. He walks a little bit, but he also strikes out a hell of a lot more than he should. And that's problematic. That's very problematic, I might add. And for Nick Prado, 
I think if he would have continued out this year and even slumped a little bit, you know, struggled, I think you could chalk it up to a lot of the guys dealing with a sophomore slump. What Massey's done, what Melendez has done, what Drew Waters and Kyle Isbell have gone through. I mean, the only guys who haven't had a sophomore slump, Bobby Wood Jr. and Michael Garcia. Maybe Freddie Fermin because he did play a little bit sparingly last year. But now I ask the question, where's the fit? All right, now think about this. Well, let's go through the 2024 roster. Okay, even if Salvador Perez is traded, let's just throw it out that Salvador Perez is traded. But you want to keep everybody else. Well, Vinny Pasquantino's got to play somewhere. And if you DH Vinny Pasquantino, yes, there is an opening at first base for a guy like Nick Prado. But then it also means that MJ Melendez is to play the outfield. I've been under the impression, I have the, the thought in my mind, that if you trade Salvador Perez, it opens up a perfect opportunity for you to take MJ Melendez out of the playing field. You can DH him. Now, maybe you don't want to DH a guy who's 25 years old and is uber-athletic like MJ, but we've seen the defense out there. If you just want to stunt the growth and just say from here on out, he's going to worry about hitting, maybe it improves him. We saw it improve Salvador Perez. But if MJ Melendez isn't DHing and it's going to be Vinny Pasquantino and you put Nick Prado at first base, well, MJ's back in the outfield. And that outfield is likely going to be, unless you don't sign anybody, Kyle Isbell in center, Drew Waters in right, and MJ Melendez in left. There is a fit. There is a realistic world. That could be the opening day lineup. Because I don't know if the Royals are just ready to give up on Nick Prado. But some of these advanced numbers, some of the eye test things have to improve. I mean, Nick Prado can never be a big league player if he's that passive with two strikes. And now we don't know for the rest of the year if that approach significantly improved. We saw it sparingly right before he went on the injured list. We saw him get a little bit more aggressive with two strikes, but the strikeout rate has to go way down. He does walk. He does have a good walk rate. But I would say if you're going to walk a lot, you're going to strike out a lot. The other thing you got to do well is hit the ball really hard and hit the ball far. You got to be that that home run hitter that can strike out and walk a lot. If you never want to change your approach with two strikes, that's going to have to be the goal. But he doesn't hit the ball very hard, and he strikes out a lot. And that I don't know if that's a a future first baseman on your roster. He's a guy that I think for 2024 should be a platoon bat or a guy that's coming off the bench because he can play a little bit of the outfield. I think better than MJ Melendez can play first base can move around a little bit there. And I don't want to give up on a guy who was a first round pick and is, oh, by the way, only 24, 25. You know, if it's between that or a Matt Beatty. Yeah, I think I would go with Nick Prado. But overall, it just feels like, man, is there enough there? Still a relatively small sample size. He was not very good in his rookie season. Strikeout numbers were a problem. Was pretty dang good early on when the Royals called him back up going back to April and May. And then went through a hot stretch going into June. Really had improved his numbers. And then once he went through that slump, he slumped hard. And that made me think, going into 2024, do you want to make him your first baseman? Do you want to make him your everyday first baseman? And D.H. Pasquantino. Because if you do that, here's the thing. I mean, Salvador Perez is likely not going to be on that roster. Which I think for a lot of people, if you can get the right return, is okay with them. But for some, maybe not so much. Salvador Perez, I think, is a much more consistent bat and a powerful bat than Nick Prado is. And that's not really a shocking point there. I just need to see a little bit more. He needs a really strong offseason, a 
really good spring training to earn that spot back because if not, the Royals are going to move on without him. The last thing I want to dive into here on this Locked On Royals episode on a Monday morning is previewing this upcoming series and this upcoming homestand at Kauffman Stadium, first beginning against the Buccos, the Pittsburgh Pirates tonight. Zach Grinke will be on the bump. I will be out there giving you coverage all night long. That's going to be coming up next on Locked On Royals. You are tuning to another edition of Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jack Johnson. You can follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore one five. Now, before we preview this upcoming series and upcoming homestand for the Kansas City Royals, give a shout out to one of today's title sponsors in Sleeper. I came dang close to a perfect two for two on my last Sleeper picks. I believe I had Luis Robert hitting a home run in that series against Oakland, but I took Estre Ruiz to have at least one stolen base, and he didn't start in that game. That's the gamble I take. That's the, the gamble I have, but I feel like the the tough one was out of the way. I just needed Estuary Ruiz to get on base, and he didn't even play that night. So that's unfortunate, but you can tell that at least 50% of the time I can give you that right pick. So for tonight's picks, I am going to stick with this Royals and Pirates game. I'm going to start it off offensively for the Kansas City Royals, and I'm going to go with Zach Greinke. Greinke's really good at home, and Greinke's facing a lineup that I'm not overly impressed with. So give me over four and a half innings. From Zach Greinke, who I would still say is getting stretched out a little bit. He threw four innings in bulk relief against the Oakland A's in his last time out. First one since coming off the injured list. And I feel like tonight he can get through at least five innings. So I'm going to go over four and a half innings for Zach Greinke tonight against the Pittsburgh Pirates. And I feel like this guy is due for a home run. It has been a while since we've seen him run into one. And I know that it's easy to fall in love with, with Bobby Witt Jr. and, and the op- opportunity of him you know, running into one, a home run. MJ Melendez set a power surge of late. I think Salvador Perez is due for a long one tonight. So I'm going to take him to hit at least one home run against Pirates pitching. So I'm going with the veterans here. I'm going with the experienced guys. I will go with Grinky getting to at least five innings tonight and Salvador Perez homering in at least one of these innings against the Pirates on a Monday night at Kauffman Stadium. Now, do you agree with my picks? I sure do. And with Sleeper, you can swing for the fences with the 100 times the payouts. All you have to do is choose two or more players that you like and select more or less on their stat categories like home runs, strikeouts, hits, and more. Get your picks right, and you could win big with Sleeper. Looking ahead to this series, there is one game, and I mean one game in this Pirate series, that I am truly invested in, that I truly care about. And maybe that's bad of me to say, For somebody that gives you these episodes every single day, don't worry. I'll be watching them. I'll be live tweeting these games even more so than I was in this Mariner series. And really, uh, Saturday I was MIA. (laughs) I was uh, busy with some housework, but I did get the chance to see Jordan Lyle star. I just put out one tweet because I felt like that game when you lose 15-2 only deserves one tweet. But tonight, I'll give you plenty of coverage. It's that game tomorrow. And I think for a lot of us, we all know what I'm talking about. It's going to be that start for Cole Reagans. Cole Reagans is going to be back on the bump, and every Royals fan should have a reason to tune in. You know, Zach Greinke tonight, I think for me, what's a little bit emotional about this is this could be the last time that I see Zach Greinke pitch in person. You know, I, I won't be able to go there this weekend. Might have a chance to go next week. I'm sure he'll pitch in that Chicago series. Actually, no, he will be lined up to pitch against Boston. That should be that Saturday game, if I'm not mistaken. 
So I could run out there on Saturday, but also it was a college football Saturday. So I don't know what my schedule is going to look like there with work or anything like that. But this could be. I'm just saying, coming up on the final month, this could be the last time I see Zach Greinke pitch in person. For me, that's a little bit emotional. So me, I can care about that. Um, but for tomorrow night, that's the game I'm looking for. That's the game I'm worried about. Last year, it was Brady Singer. Every fifth day, I got to be watching that game. I got to put my butt down on the couch. I got to get out to the K. I got to watch Brady Singer pitch because that's the most important thing for this team. I know it's going to be a pretty dang good game if he's out there on the bump. For Cole Reagans, not only is I think do I think he's going to shove, he's going to have that power lights out stuff, triple digit fastballs. That wipeout slider, that really good changeup he can use at any point in the count. Now that to me is all we have to preview for this series. You don't know who's going to start on Wednesday. Uh, Annie Rogers of MLB.com does a fantastic job covering the Royals. She said that they're going to push back Brady Singer because of that off day on Thursday. So it's likely we'll see Brady Singer on Friday, which I guess would then set up Granke to start on Monday. I guess that's how it works. It'd be Singer on Friday. It'd be Lyles on Saturday and then Marsh on Sunday, then lining up Granke to pitch next Monday. Uh, so we'd have to see um, if that's how the rotation goes about it. That's how it shakes down. Uh, Wednesday, though, it's to be determined. Don't know who that could be. Maybe a spot opens up. For a guy like Anthony Veneziano, that feels like one of those getaway games that you could, you know, try and throw a guy who hasn't thrown this year, give somebody the opportunity to pitch against a lineup that's not, you know, a gauntlet like Seattle, not a gauntlet like Toronto, who you're going to see here pretty shortly in the Rogers Center. But to me, that feels like the perfect opportunity. But in this series, again, not worried about taking the series. I'm not worrying about getting swept. I'm not worrying about sweeping the Pirates. Yeah, that'd be all fine and dandy. There is one game, one game on the schedule for me that matters a lot. And it's the Cole Reagans game tomorrow night. Again, I'd like to see Grinky pitch well, you know, go off into the sunset on a high note. And maybe that's how the Royals are going to handle him to close out the year. We did a segment on that last week of how the Royals should handle Grinky. Maybe he'll get to start at home and then be a bulk reliever on the road just to make those numbers look a little better to close out his career. But to me, there's there's one guy in this rotation right now that is a long-term fit for this team, and it's Cole Reagans. And he gets the chance to shove once again against the Pirates team. And a Pirates team that I think in a perfect world could be comparable to the Royals next year. You know, they're, I think, 10 to 12 games under 500. They were competing for a couple of months in the National League Central. That, to me, would be okay. Where the Pirates are at right now, I would be okay with the Royals being at that point next season. No, a lot of fans are not going to be happy with that because that's still a team that's not competing for a wild card spot. But uh, that's a tremendous jump. I mean, if you think about this, the Royals are 50 games under 500. If they lose 110 games, you could improve your win total by 20 games. 20 games and still lose 90. That's where we're at right now. I mean... That jump that the Pirates made from year to year, it's its impressive. And their farm system is pretty loaded now. It's definitely something to watch for. And the Royals need to continue to load up that farm system. I mean, the Pirates, I think, by all accounts, have had a pretty fun year. Despite, you know, Ellie De La Cruz taking the spotlight from his brother O'Neill in Pittsburgh. But they had Paul Skeens as their first round pick. They were really fun to watch, just like the Royals were in 2021, back in April and May. 
They had a division they were competing in for a little bit, and they've got a lot of young talent. Now, Key Brian Hayes is definitely somebody to watch. Got a young rotation, young backstop. It's a pretty fun team to watch and a gorgeous ballpark as well. I always say PNC Ballpark is the prettiest ballpark in Major League Baseball. There's a gorgeous backdrop. So to me, uh, seeing the Pirates succeed, play well, it's fun to watch. And I'm excited to see them for a little interleague matchup at the K coming up for these next three days. But tonight, it'll be Granky. Tomorrow, it'll be Cole Reagans. And then on Wednesday, still TBD. But I'd imagine the Royals will make a roster move before that point or just go with another bullpen game or an opener, I guess, for that matter. So three opportunities for the Royals to do something a little different for that Wednesday game in the series finale against the Pirates. That is going to do it for another edition of Locked On Royals on the Locked On Podcast Network. I've been your host, Jack Johnson. You can always follow me on Twitter at JohnnyJ underscore 15. That's at J-O-H-N-Y-J underscore one five. And find all of our episodes on those podcasting platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and you can catch us on YouTube. Just be sure to hit that follow button and subscribe. You can follow along with my tweets tonight from Kauffman Stadium at Johnny J underscore 15. But until then, you take it easy, Kansas City.